morning to all. Good morning to my church family. It's always good to stand up here and see all those smiling faces and some of the frowny ones too. Looking around at our Labor Day weekend crowd, actually a little bit more attendance than I kind of thought there'd be here today. I'm reminded of a preacher who said he had a great sermon on humility, but he was waiting for a large crowd before he preached it. In 1980, there was a song by a singer named Mac Davis. Anybody remember Mac Davis? It was called Hard to Be Humble. And since that song first came out, it's been appropriated by many individuals or groups as a form of boasting. Living in Oklahoma, some of you have probably seen the bumper sticker, haven't you? It says it's hard to be humble when you're a Sooner, although it's a little easier today. Not to be outdone, Arkansas Razorbacks fans took this. Steve, you've probably heard this, and if you haven't, you're about to. The Mac Davis song and made it their own. Here are the lyrics to that song. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one heck of a fan. He didn't say heck, and it wasn't. The Mac Davis song said man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're an Arkansas Razorbacks fan. Right on cue, Steve, your check's in the mail. Now, the original song may have been meant to be tongue-in-cheek. I don't know Mac Davis, so maybe it wasn't. But this song points out a reality that challenges our culture and even tests believers in Christ. It's hard to be humble. In our culture, it's more than hard. It's almost impossible for most people to be truly humble. I even found a study reported in the Wall Street Journal that said this, talking about ourselves, whether in a personal conversation or through social media sites like Facebook and Twitter, triggers the same sensation of pleasure in the brain as food or money. That explains something, doesn't it? The study showed that about 40% of everyday speech is devoted to telling others what we feel or think. Now, through five brain imaging and behavioral experiments, Harvard University neuroscientists have uncovered the reason. It feels so rewarding at the level of brain cells and synapses that we can't help sharing our thoughts. This study even found that many people were willing to forego money just to talk about themselves. Social media and the Internet encourage this, but you know what? It comes naturally to us. It really does. I was talking with a friend a few weeks ago, and this friend is facing some very difficult challenges in his life, and he remarked how often people ask him how things are going in in some of these challenges. But then he told me something that's interesting, and it's not particularly surprising because I've seen it myself, and actually, if I'm honest, I've probably done it myself. Just a few sentences into people reporting to him asking after he's been asked about how things are going, so he's telling him how things are going, he's usually interrupted by the other person who feel the need to tell him something about how what he said related to something they'd experienced or something they'd learned or think they know. So these friends who ask an apparently genuine concern for my friend's problems couldn't even listen for a few minutes before they felt the need to interject something about themselves. Now clearly it is sometimes helpful to be able to share experiences with somebody. Hey, I've been through that too. 
So that's not to say we should never do that. But it illustrates a reality we all face. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to listen, which, if you think about it, is really an act of humility. Humbly setting aside for a moment our experience, our opinion, or our insight, and just entering into that other person's problems. We see this in so many ways in our culture. And, of course, our culture, we swim in it, folks. It affects us whether we think it does or not. So we see it in our Christian culture, too. Has anybody here heard the phrase humble brag? Heard the phrase humble brag? It's a way you can sound like what the cartoon character Pepe Le Pew once said. It makes me feel humble yet sort of proud. That's like a humble brag. Anyone, anybody here can relate to that? Please don't raise your hand. It's so tempting to be proud of my accomplishments. The humble brag is finding something to boast about, but putting it in such a way that it sounds sort of humble. A few examples, and again, social media gives us a wide variety of, to choose from. Here's one from Twitter. I always feel a little odd... It always feels a little odd to me when I get recognized randomly in public. I never know what to say. I'm glad it doesn't happen often. Now, do you get the humble brag there? This guy's bragging sort of humbly that he's famous enough to be recognized in public. But saying it feels odd, that kind of sounds a little bit humble, right? He's glad it doesn't happen very often. That sounds a little bit humble. Now, I hate to tell this guy, but I don't have a clue who he is. Anybody know who this guy is? So he's probably a little more humble than he really thinks he is. Here's another one. Nine hours in room with seven comedy writers yesterday for CBS sitcom about my life. Lots of talented, funny people in this world who never get props. So see the humble part? Wow, look at these people. They're so talented. They deserve all this acclaim. And the bragging part, they're doing a CBS sitcom about my life. Even believers are good at the humble brag. Here's one I found. I'm truly humbled you follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. (laughs) If he'd left out the 200,000, it might have been more humble than humble brag, huh? So this is a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. And Scripture presents it as such. Why else would we see the vast array of passages and individual verses of Scripture that deal with humility. We're going to take a quick survey. I want you to hang with me. I'm going to, we're going to read about ten different verses. There's just a sample of the dozens. I mean, when I began to study this, obviously you start by studying the theme, right? So I was looking humble. I was looking humility. There are so many passages of Scripture that deal with this. So listen as I read. I'm going to start with Romans 12:3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Matthew 18:4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Romans 12:14 through 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, a, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen holy ones, or God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. It's a little overwhelming, really, isn't it? When we read all these passages of Scripture, maybe it's even a little bit humbling when we read these passages of Scripture. We see a lot about what Scripture tells us that it means to be humble. And also we see part of why it's so hard for us to be humble. Pride comes to us naturally. Humility, not so much. So let's explore a bit more about what some of Scripture teaches us about humility. First of all, the interesting thing to me was that it does seem that we have somewhat of a choice in how we will be humbled, at least to some degree. We can be humbled by life circumstances, by people, even by God, or we can humble ourselves. Now, in studying these passages, I even wondered that if you humble yourself, as Scripture admonishes us to do, that no one or nothing else can truly humble you because you're already there. Do you ever think about that? Think about that for a moment with me. Let's look again at some of these verses we just read. For example, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, which says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on humility. That's an act. It's something we do. Matthew 23.12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 18.4 says, Whoever humbles himself is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Sensing a little bit of a trend here, are we? So let me say again, we can be humbled. In other words, have humility imposed on us by life circumstances, by people, for example. Or we can humble ourselves. And again, if you first humble yourself... Is it possible that no one or nothing else can really humble you? 
Now, why is that? If that's true, why is that? In other words, you're already humbled. You're pre-humbled. It's like the cotton clothing you get that's pre-shrunk, right? It can go through the hot water. It can go through the dryer. And it won't shrink because it's already pre-shrunk. So if you start with an attitude of humility because you're already humbled yourself, already clothed yourself, as Scripture says, with humility, you won't be inclined to think you deserve better than this circumstance, this suffering, whatever it is that's humbling you. Does that make sense to anybody? It was something I'd never thought about before until, we began, until I began to study these passages of Scripture. Instead, instead, you'll be grateful that God has chosen to redeem a sinner like you, though you never earned that redemption. In fact, cannot earn it. Of course, you know, it's also true that no matter how much we truly humble ourselves as believers in Christ, how much we truly own humility in our hearts, we still wrestle with that old sin nature. So we don't reach perfection in humility in this life, even if we consistently humble ourselves, as Scripture encourages us to do. So that doesn't mean that life or people or God won't still humble us. There's this reality that certain kinds of life experiences do, in fact, humble us. Suffering, for example. Suffering humbles us. It makes us lowly. Let's look a little more closely at the context of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, which tells us to clothe ourselves with humility and to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And Peter tells us to humble ourselves in verse 6, and then we read through verse 11, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're to humble ourselves by casting our anxieties on him. We're to cast our anxieties, our cares, our concerns on him because we have an enemy. And this enemy wants to devour us. And because we all suffer. And we can trust that. Eventually, if not in this life, then clearly in eternity, this God of grace will restore us. He will confirm us. He will strengthen us. He will establish us. He will do these things. He will do these things because we can't. We can't do these things. We're lowly. We're humble servants. We're creatures. We can't resist the devil without faith in the one who can and does resist him. We can't suffer rightly on our own alone without his grace. Now, if that's not humbling, I don't know what is. We can't do it, but he can. As restricted to persons, humility is understood also in the sense of afflictions or miseries which may be inflicted by external agents, as when a man humiliates another by causing him pain or suffering. 
It is in this sense that others may bring about humiliations and subject us to them. If this is true, if we can indeed have humility thrust upon us by external agents, circumstances of life, sickness or disease, even other people, why wouldn't we want to put ourselves first in that place of humility, to put ourselves in that, to, as Scripture says, clothe ourselves with humility, humble ourselves, as Scripture says. You know, it's kind of an idea similar to those who in times of war when there's a draft, we heard this a lot during the Vietnam era, choose first to enlist. You're going to be drafted anyway, so at least you can choose which branch of the service you're going to be in. You don't want to be a grunt in the army on the ground, so you'd rather be in the Navy or in the Air Force or something like that. Do you want to have humility primarily done to you? Or do you want to proactively do it to yourself? Willingly taking on the attitude and the role of a humble servant. Knowing full well that without God's grace, you are unable to deal with that humility that suffering or circumstances or other people will otherwise surely inflict on you. A major factor here is how we think of ourselves, how we perceive ourselves. Those of you who ever read Berenstain Bears books to your kids, anybody ever here read any of those books? Yeah, a lot of us have. You may remember a phrase that they use from time to time, such a much. You remember that phrase? Such a much. Don't think you're such a much. In other words, you're not as great as you think you are. You're not such hot stuff. You're not as smart or as talented or as good-looking as you think you are. You're not such a much. Now, in our culture of self-esteem, this kind of thinking clearly goes against the tide. After all, we're all supposed to be smart and talented and beautiful, so much so that any of us can do anything we want to do, anything we set our mind to do. Well, think about that phrase for a little bit. A lot of us have bought into that. If I bought into that when I was young and I was still playing basketball... And if this idea that I can be whatever I want was really true, that I could do anything I really set my mind to do, I would now be standing before you as a wealthy, retired NBA basketball player. I think I'm behind myself or ahead of me. There we go. But I learned to think of myself with sober judgment, at least as far as my basketball abilities go. I learned to properly estimate what I was, what I could do, and what I couldn't do. And while back in the day, I might have been able to keep pace with most NBA players' free throw shooting percentage, I wasn't nearly good enough in any other basketball skill set to advance beyond intramurals in college. Now, if you've been paying attention, I just gave you another great example of a humble brag. (laughs) Thank you. Karen got it. The truth is, I couldn't be just anything I wanted to be. That is a lie that we tell our children in trying to build their self-esteem. I don't want to build self-esteem in any children. I don't want to build that in myself. What I want to build is God-esteem. What I want to build is God-esteem. God esteems me, not because of anything worthy in me, but because of the sacrifice of His Son, in whom I am trusting and depending on for everything, 
everything from my salvation to my provision to any gifts or talent that I bring to any work which he allows me the privilege of doing in his service. And I want that to be enough for me. I want it to be enough for me. It's humbling. It's humbling because it's a gift. But I want to rest in that God esteem and I want to not need the praise of people. I want to see myself through his lens of love and grace and mercy. Folks, I want to proclaim I'm not such a much. I'm not such a much. My sister once told me that she thought I was a very strong man. I told her I'm a very weak man who serves a very strong God. Without him, the scripture tells me I can do nothing. Nothing. Scripture tells me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ is the phrase that makes me humble. Through Christ. What do I have in terms of things, talents, gifts that I did not receive? I can do nothing apart from Christ. Whatever I have, whatever I do is a gracious gift from God. Now, if that biblical reality is not humbling, I don't know what is. I've got nothing in and of myself that I can boast about. I can only boast in Him. So Scripture tells us we need to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Again, Romans 12:3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Overestimating our talent or our importance is a great temptation, but so is the reverse, underestimating it, while at the same time not acknowledging and not being grateful for the source of that talent and as a result, boasting about it. So humility is really just a realistic assessment of who I am before God. I think we've illustrated this morning why a lack of humility is something Scripture is consistently bringing to our attention. I think it's part of our prideful sin nature. I think that's why we want to talk about ourselves so much. I think it's part of why it's hard for us to really listen sometimes and prefer to talk usually about ourselves or our opinions. I think it's why we're quick to judge. I think it's why we're quick to take offense. I think it's why we're quick to defend ourselves. I think it's why sometimes we're not teachable. We think we know everything. I think it's why we think we're right all the time. Lack of sober judgment may be at the root of many of our social divisions in our culture today. Lack of sober judgment may be why we say, I'm sorry, rather than asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness is even more humbling than saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's even humbling to ask others to pray for us because that's admitting, I'm weak and I have this need. We want everyone to think we're strong. Of course, even prayer requests can be more of a humble brag. Lack of sober judgment may be why we care too much about what people think of us. Because sober judgment not only includes an understanding of what God has given us in terms of talents, but also what Jesus has done for us in redemption. If we think we're such a much, then we want people to recognize that. We want the glory. We want the honor. We want the praise. We see this in the Pharisees in the New Testament. 
their own self-assessment of their behavior led them to seek recognition for that behavior. Why should I care what anyone thinks of me? Why should I care what anyone thinks of me? One commentator wrote that humility is an accurate estimation of our self-importance in relation to God and others. It is not inappropriate self-exaltation or self-abasement. Pride, then, is the overestimation of our self-importance in relation to God and others. We cannot think we deserve anything more than we get when you believe the Scripture which says, what do you have that you did not receive? We cannot think more highly of ourselves than we should when we understand our need for God's grace in everything. We won't seek credit at that point. We won't shift blame. We'll be able to rest in our humble, sober judgment of ourselves. We'll recognize we're all needy people. We're in need of His grace. We're in need of His mercy. We're in need of His equipping to do anything of worth. This relates to our kingdom service too. This relates to our relationships in the body of Christ. Isn't it interesting that just before Paul's first use of the wonderful analogy of comparing the human body to the functioning in the body of Christ, we see that Romans 12, 3 verse we just read, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Well, after that, Paul goes on to write about how this relates to the body. How do we know that verse 3 connects with the verses that follow? We see that connecting word, for. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In our relationships with one another in the body of Christ, a sober judgment of ourselves, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, allows us to recognize a few things about ourselves. It allows us to recognize whether or not we're a big toe, or maybe we're a liver, or maybe we're a spleen, or we're a hand, or a foot, or a pinky. What's more, a sober judgment of ourselves given by God allows us not only to not worry about being a more prominent organ or maybe not needing to say, hey, look, I'm a big toe and I'm really important because without me you'll fall on your face. Life humbles us. Life humbles us. Circumstances humble us. Suffering humbles us. But we can humble ourselves even before the inevitable difficult circumstances of life come and humble us because humility is an attitude of the heart and in that it's a choice that's not to say it's an easy thing to do at all it's not an easy choice as the title of today's message says it's hard to be humble because by nature we are self-absorbed and prideful we can't even humble ourselves all by ourselves that's a scary thought But by God's grace, by God's grace, we can choose to clothe ourselves with humility. We can make choices by God's grace that will allow us to humble ourselves. 
We can exalt ourselves in this life or we can allow the Lord to exalt us in the next. To humble ourselves is to admit that we need. We need. We are a needy people. And that goes against the grain of our self-sufficiency and our pride. We need God. We need God to save us because we are lowly sinners. We need to have a proper estimation of what God has given us so we can take our place in the body as a member, as we learn in Romans 12. The fact that everything we have, everything we are, has been given should be enough to keep us in a humble state. This fact that God has given it will be itself one of the most effectual promoters of humility and right feeling. Men commonly regard the objects on which they pride themselves as things of their own creation or as depending on themselves. But let an object be regarded as the gift of God and it ceases to excite pride. And the feeling is at once changed into gratitude. He therefore who regards God as the source of all blessings and he only will be a humble man. So yes, yes, it is hard to be humble. But Jesus is our model. Jesus is our model. So the perfect closing for this morning is the passage highlighting the perfect model of humility. And before we read this passage in closing, I want you to listen for these things as I read the passage of Scripture here in just a few minutes. I want you to listen for this. Jesus humbled himself. So must we. Jesus had no reason to humble himself other than his love for us and his perfect plan of redemption. So he chose to humble himself even though if anyone ever had a right to be proud and conceited, it was him. Listen for this too. Humility is an attitude, a state of mind. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So by his grace, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can have his attitude of humility. Yes, it's hard to be humble. It's really impossible apart from Christ. But we can have this attitude because it's ours in Christ Jesus. And finally, we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, God exalted Jesus after Jesus humbled himself. So the passage we're going to read is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Listen for these things as I read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though it is indeed hard to be humble because of our prideful sin nature, that by the grace 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and imitating the model that he left us himself, we can attain to humility. We can clothe ourselves with humility. We can humble ourselves, Heavenly Father. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would indeed consider these things in all of our day-to-day activities, Father, our conversations with one another, our interactions in the workplace and in our neighborhoods and with our families, Lord God, that we would be a humble people with a sober judgment of ourselves, uh, a realistic expectation, a realistic estimation, Lord, of what you have made us to be in Christ. Father, we commit this to you, knowing that we can't even humble ourselves without you. We are a needy people, Father, and we confess that even now as we humble ourselves before you and ask you to give us the grace to be humble in Jesus' name. Amen.